Life Audio. You are listening to the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, episode 25, Exchanging Father Wounds for God's Love with Stacy Eldridge, part one. I'm your host, Kia Stevens. This podcast is for women who have experienced pain in their father-daughter relationship as a result of divorce, abandonment, abuse, incarceration, addiction, or a physically present but emotionally absent father. The aim of this podcast is to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Now, if you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, if you are unfamiliar with Stacey Eldridge, I just want to give you a little bit about her. She actually is an author that I read several years ago, and her book really helped me, so I'm excited to share her with you. Stacey is an author, she's a teacher, and the women's ministry leader at Wild at Heart. That name might sound familiar because her husband, John Eldridge, also wrote a book wild at heart and their ministry is devoted to helping people discover the heart of God, recover their own hearts, amen, in God's love and learn to live in God's kingdom. Stacy and her husband, John, live in Colorado Springs. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Kia. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I it's love awesome. This. Yes, of course. It's awesome to connect with you. So Stacy, we're going to do our best to dive into the overwhelming topic of father wounds and overcoming them and exchanging those wounds for God's love. So I'd love for you to get us started and tell us a little bit about your childhood um, that you can share. How was your upbringing? Was it happy? Was it sad? Just, Just give our listeners a little bit of insight. Yes, Kia, I grew up in a home with an absent father and a totally emotionally absent mother. My father was a traveling salesman. And and this is back in the day when they would load up their samples in the back of their car and leave and drive around to show them. So he would be gone for three weeks at a time and then home for a weekend and gone for three weeks at a time, home for a weekend. So my mom was married, but she was basically a single mother and she was overwhelmed and angry and um, did a lot of damage to my sisters and to myself. And then when my father came home, he had a drinking problem. So he would stop off at the bar first and he was pretty much a happy alcoholic, except when he wasn't. And, and that increased over time where he could be very scary and would rage so I was um, a little girl who hid. I, um, I actually hid in the closet like for hours because I was safe in there and nobody was looking for me. It wasn't playing hide and seek. It was just a place where I could breathe and um, escape the crazy in my family. And there were good moments, but um, it was a mess, my family actually. What impacts you every day? 
There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. But look around you, your family, your faith. They're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Do you have any fond memories of your family? You know, I do. Kia, I actually do. And I was thinking about this just last night. And I was thinking, I've got like seven with my father. And I was thinking that that was good until I realized I should have a thousand. Yeah. I I shouldn't, you know, for your listeners, I, I hope they have some, but you're supposed to have a lot. But the ones that I have were when he was, when he was present. Um, I remember this one Christmas when I was real little and he came home from a trip and he brought me this blow up Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer for no reason. I mean, I'm still smiling now, just remembering this cute, just this, what you thought of me when you were gone. And he did that one other time when I had been really sick and he came home and it was this, you blew it up. It was this six foot balloon. It was awesome. And then um, when I was 15, he gave me a corsage for Valentine's day. Oh, that's special. Yeah. It was so special. It was a pink carnation. So I, I love carnations. Whenever I smell them, I just feel seen and special. And I have some good moments with my mom too. It wasn't, you know, hell on earth. It was just, it actually looked good from the outside. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You had to come inside the house to learn the truth, except of the acting out that was happening with my siblings. Um, but my father was diagnosed with cancer when I was 21 and he wasn't given much time to live. And that softened him. Mm -hmm. That softened him dramatically. And he actually lived for three years. They gave him three months, but he lived for three years. And so I have good memories from that time of conversations that were honest or where he actually pursued me and wanted to understand about my faith. He was genuinely curious. It was really honoring. And um, his last words to me were actually, I love you. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And you, I could, he couldn't say it very clearly, but I know what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was, you know, amazing to just to know Kia in my heart of hearts that the deepest reality was that my father loved me. He couldn't do it well. He wasn't equipped to do it well. And he gave a lot of messages that weren't good, really, that harmed me. But to know that I'm not actually underneath all that, he loved me mm-hmm. was really helpful. For me, I 
feel like in life, God balances our mountaintops with our sorrows. Some of us may have, or with our valleys, some of us may have a few more valleys than we do mountaintops. But I feel like um, just the seven instances that you remember with your father are kind of like little glimmers of of God's presence in your life, that you're not forgotten, that you are seen. And I'm going to give you this to hold on to until we get to something better. I, I kind of feel that way. I don't know if I've made it up or if it's reality, but, um, you know, it, it's a reminder to me that God is there in, in the valleys with us. Kia, that is a beautiful way to express it. And it's true. It's true because our father, capital F, is always pursuing us. And as you know, we learn about him from our our earthly fathers. That's that's our first revelation of what he's like. And so in the midst of that, he whether they were great, every father is broken to some extent, but in the midst of it, our our good heavenly father is pursuing us. And those moments, um, they were dramatic in my heart. They really mattered. I believe that most, if not all fathers, love their daughters. Now, where they get tripped up is by their own humanity, their own habits, their own sin, their hangups, their addictions. We've talked about some difficult memories that you've had with your father. Are there any that stick out that you would want to share with our listeners today? So my father, I mentioned that he was an alcoholic. And, and what was hard and embarrassing and shameful for me was when I would hear stories or be confronted with students at school telling me stories of how they saw him or how he came over or how ridiculous he was. And he was actually a successful businessman. He really was, except when he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And there was our home life and his marriage, it, it got better, but it wasn't good so that he, he did get drunk before he got home. And when he did get home, that was the first thing he did was, you know, I still can't stand the smell of scotch because that was the drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so his fury, um, particularly at my middle sister, um, and I think because they were kind of alike mm-hmm. and his So dinner tables that just, uh, my stomach hurts just thinking about them, the raging that would happen. That was pretty much, you know, the constant when I was still pretty young, I was 10 and we moved to California. I grew up in Kansas city Mm -hmm. and in Kansas city, we lived in a neighborhood with no fences and children and other parents. And there was like this support system for me and for our family and at school teachers that noticed teachers that cared. So they, I felt caught, but when we moved to California, that all fell apart and, um, there was nothing and no one, and my parents couldn't handle it. My father in his drinking, I was out with him once and I was mortified because he was asking for the waitress's phone number in front of me and then too drunk to drive home. And my sister had to drive. My, my mother ended up leaving for a while. My sister ran away. It was just, it was a disaster. Yeah. And in that he hit rock bottom and 
even, and it came, he was either going to lose his job and lose his family or stop drinking. And he stopped drinking. He went to an inpatient treatment center and, and it was at the same time that his, um, bipolar disorder was diagnosed Mm. and he started taking medication that helped him. Um, he stopped traveling as much. He still wasn't, he didn't, he still didn't engage. Like he would come home and go in the other room and close the door, but he was, he was intimidating, but not, not so scary. He, they still did their things, but he, he, um, he did turn a corner. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. He grew up in a, I mean, such a cold, distant home. He had to get dressed up for dinner. Um, And then when he was quite young, he was sent off to a boarding school and that was that. So he, the thing in my family was performance and appearance, primarily appearance. Like you couldn't be thin enough. And so that's what the conversations were about. My father pulling me aside and saying, no boy will love you. If you're fat, don't eat. Um, lot of conversations like that. And then my mother, you know, doling out very small portions. So we all remember just being hungry all of the time and then having that translate to, it was a lack of nourishment on every front. Um, the mercy comes when I start understanding my parents' story, my father's story, but it doesn't mean that I don't have to acknowledge the pain that, and that I don't need to grieve it. At first, it was too overwhelming for me. I wouldn't, I would just, I was in denial. No, I had a great childhood. Everything was fine. You know, it was peaches and cream until I began to crash and burn in my thirties. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't know why I was in so much pain. 
And then that was what really propelled me. I'd been a solid Jesus follower since my early twenties. He, he, I encountered him. I fell in love with him. I gave him my life and that was it. But I didn't get immediately healed up like that. He did save me from a lot of things, but there were other things that are a process that we walk out sanctified throughout our whole life as we're being transformed into his image. But it was in my thirties that I went, I need counseling. Mm-hmm. I need some help. Me too. <laughs> Me it's kind too. of, a, it's a kind of, it's almost, it goes around, you know, it's like when you're old enough and stable enough, secure enough to be able to face reality and, and go something's up and, and actually there is help available. So I don't have to s- suffer or implode my life. Mm-hmm. And that was when like around, um, how old was I around 34 that I began to go, what was my family like? Yeah. I, I cannot agree with you more. I like to say in my twenties, I was, I was naive and I just didn't know anything. And then in my thirties, it was like the veil or the, the, the scales were taken off of my eyes. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, and I, I think I spent my whole 30s probably crying. <laughs> oh, bless you. Yes. It tears oh, it's, okay. it's okay. I'm laughing yeah. now, you know, but you have to unpack it. If you think about unpacking a suitcase, it's not, well, some of us do dump everything out at one time, but you know, it's kind of item by item, layer by layer. You put some things back in the drawer, some things go in the dirty clothes, some things need to be put in the washing machine. And, and I mean, it's really that type of analogy when you're unpacking your childhood hurts wound by wound you got to look at that stuff and you got to process it and you definitely have to grieve it and grief is not linear I wish it was I wish it was a straight line and I could see the end the destination at the end but I thought I grieved this already but now I'm in target crying uh And I don't know why, because there's still some layers. There's still some woundedness. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's actually a mercy in it where God doesn't. Yes. You know, when you're, you're too young and even when you're growing up, like you're, you're doing your best to survive and we get self-protective behaviors. We do stuff that's actually resourceful. And then it's not until we're, he knows we're ready. And he goes, okay, it's time. You are so right, Stacy. If I had to handle the full measure of all of my grief mm. in one sitting, if God just dumped it on me, I would not be able to, it would be too much. Yeah. When when he believes that we're ready and that, that we're able to process this, then he gives us a little bit more and he gives us a little bit more. Now, I want to share this quote. I have read this quote. I have quoted this quote, goo gods at times, but I I want to share it with our listeners today. Captivating, unlocking the mystery of a woman's soul. This is the quote that you say in this book. Little girls want to know, am I lovely? The twirling skirts, the dress up, the longing to be pretty and to be seen. That is what that's all about. We are seeking an answer to our question. When I was a girl of maybe five years old, I remember standing on top of the coffee table in my grandparents' living room and singing my heart out. I wanted to capture attention. 
especially my father's attention. I wanted to be captivating. We all did. But for most of us, the answer to our question when we were young was, no, there's nothing captivating about you. Get off the coffee table. Nearly all a woman does in her adult life is fueled by her longing to be delighted in, her longing to be beautiful, to be irreplaceable, to have her question answered yes. And down in the depths of our hearts, our question remains unanswered, or rather it remains answered in the way it was answered so badly in our youth. Am I lovely? Do you see me? Do you want to see me? Are you captivated by what you find in me? We live haunted by that question, yet unaware that it still needs an answer. I would love it if you could talk about this longing to be delighted in and what are some of the pitfalls that women can find themselves in when the answer to uh, that question in our lives is no. Such a good question. First, I want to speak to that question that we're all born with. The do you see me? Do you delight me? Is there something worth pursuing in me? Um, And sometimes when we get the answer, no, we're so ashamed of those questions. Just mock them, bury them, ignore them, try to kill them, but they won't be killed. And part of the reason is because, as we know, we're made in the image of God and he wants to be pursued. He wants us to delight in him. He wants us to think, to see his beauty and be captivated by it. So it's actually a beautiful thing that's planted into our hearts. And like I wrote, most of our answers or too often the answer is no. And the question is, doesn't go away. And some of us asked it, you know, hi, do you see me? Some of us played dress up and went look, and some of us were in muddy overalls, but we, we either asked it with our eyes or our hearts or our words, but it's in every one of us. And when our answer that comes to us is answered badly, not in the way we were made for, it can shape us into the woman we are today more than we realize and certainly more than we want to um, face. Um, but if you look at the story of a woman's life, and every woman's life is a story, then you can see the story of how her heart was handled or mishandled, what she did with it, and then how that's played out in her life. Mm-hmm. So when we get the answer, no, the message, you know, just to clear, just the message is you are not fill in the blank or, or you need to be someone else, someone funnier, someone smarter, someone, if you were something else. And so we try, we, we put on um, coats and hats against the world's weather is what like our personalities are designed to protect us from further harm because harm has come. And so we have to go ahead and go, um, what are the messages that I got? Because we're trying to soothe the pain. That's where a lot of our addictions come from. That's where our, um, our fear, our fear of being rejected, um, or our, our thing we need to shop, or we need to camp out in front of the refrigerator. I mean, the things are, there's a myriad of things available for us now in order to soothe and deaden our own sorrow. Um, a lot of women bring their question to men 
They're looking for validation, even if it's short term, even if it's abusive or messy. It's just like, do you see me? Do you think I'm special? And, and um, men actually will bring their question to women and we cannot answer it for one another. We can't. So the focus of our hearts gets skewed primarily into not make pain happen again. The messages come, you're not enough. There's nothing captivating about you. And we will make vows that will um, cause further harm. Vows to self-protect, vows that say, I will never be seen or I'll never speak in public or I'll never offer my opinion or I will take control of every situation. Like it runs the whole gamut depending on who we are. And um, it causes damage either way because our, our femininity is meant to offer the face of God to the world in, in his mercy his kindness and his strength and his vulnerability. And in order to do that, we can't be women who are living in fear. And when our question is so badly answered, we are afraid. It's Genesis 3.1. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so we're afraid, so we hide. We hide our hearts, we hide our true self, we hide our needs. And we try to get filled in a myriad of ways that only deepen our brokenness. You've been listening to the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, episode 25, Exchanging Father Wounds for God's Love with Stacey Eldridge, part one. I hope this episode has been an encouragement to you. And I want you to know whether your dad is deceased absent, divorced, unavailable, incarcerated, or you don't know who he is, sis, there is hope for you. Hope to be healed. Hope to be secure. Hope to be free, completely free. Hope to be satisfied with the love of God. Yes, there is hope for women with father wounds. This was episode 25 of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast. I am your host, Kia Stevens. If you are benefiting from this podcast and think it might help another woman, I encourage you to share it with a friend, rate, comment, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Be sure and check out the links associated with this podcast so you can access several free resources for you. Also, I'm super excited to announce that I will be publishing my first book for women with father wounds on March 7th, 2023. So be sure and subscribe to my blog at www.kiastevens.com so you won't miss any updates. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and I hope you will join me for the conclusion of Exchanging Father Wounds for God's Love with Stacey Eldridge, Part 2. Hope for Women with Father Wounds is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so that more listeners can find us. You can learn more about Kia Stevens and her ministry, The Father Swap, by visiting kiastevens.com and fatherswap.com. This episode was produced by me, Kelly Gibbons, and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts, just head over to lifeaudio.com.
rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward him in good times and bad to listen to more abide Christian meditations just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for abide Christian meditation you can also download the abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com